This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the Besotted Pride of West London podcast, and we're sitting here in the virtual joint, the place that we come to sometimes to chill out when you've had a bit of a mad week. It's been a mad week for us this week because, well, it's FA Cup week and we were absolutely up for the cup, potty for it. See Brentford get through for the first time in 14 years to the fifth round of the FA Cup, and we had a good night on Monday night before the game and after the game. And it was just sort of, well, Tuesday night even, actually. We had a good night Monday as well. Tuesday night, and it was just all too much for us. So we just thought, to be quite honest with you, Wednesday we chilled. And Thursday we thought, let's get back. Well, let's not go potty and go into town. Let's just hang out in the virtual joint with our chums, our buddies. My name's Billy, my name's Billy Grant, and I'm here in the virtual joint with a cup of tea. There's no pints of beer. There's no glass of wine. Like I said to you, I'm, I'm really chilling because I'm, I'm, I'm zenning myself and looking forward to this weekend, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But I'm sitting there with my chums. Dave Lane, how are you? I'm good. I'm good, mate. I'm, I'm, I'm still a little bit uh, excited about the FA Cup. I wish, uh, I wish we could do the draw again and we weren't going to Swansea, but we are. Um, so, yeah, no, I thought the performance on, uh, on Tuesday night was, uh, it was all right. Got us, got us, got us past, got, did what we had to do. So yeah, no, I'm all right. I'm not sipping tea. I'm having a little little sip of whiskey, but I'm not going to go mad. Don't go mad at all. And I've got the liberal, the West Country man in the house, who's kind of sort of very happy that um, we're playing Swansea because it's sort of down his way, even though he can't sort of hop across the river, oh that big river, that sort of big sea thing, to get to Swansea. He has to go all the way in up to Bristol, then back again. But to be fair, you're you're quite happy with that, the liberal, aren't you? Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's about half an hour less than it would take me to get to Griffin Park. So, yeah, no, so I am very happy about it. Yeah, that'd be good. I had the unusual experience this week, wasn't able to make the Barnet game, so I had the usual experience of following it on Twitter while surrounded by people who were more interested in whether Liverpool were beating West Ham or vice versa. So, and I, so I was potty. I got the right result. They all got the wrong result. So I had a good evening. Good evening. Nick, for Nick it's the first, first time you've missed a game and Brentford haven't scored five goals for a while. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. I mean, you know, I apologise to all those who might have seen my Twitter saying I wasn't going to make it. 
Saka stuck money on five goals. If you see me in the pub next home game, I might buy you a drink as recompense. Excellent. Okay. Well, you know, we're looking forward to it. So, listen, plenty of things to talk about in this podcast. Like you said to you, FA Cup, Barnet. You've got to talk about Barnet, the, those cheeky little Barnettians, you know. They weren't too happy after the game. You know, it was a good double header, but they weren't too happy about it. But I'll tell you something, don't take my word for it. Let's go back to the pub and listen to what the Brentford fans and some foul-mouthed Barnet fans had to say after the game. Um, I mean, we went 3-0 up and then we came back to 3-1. Um, the two-goal cushion, you know, it was relatively comfortable. Probably not comfortable enough. I mean, I reckon that we'd have liked to have brought the subs on probably 15 minutes earlier. Probably if we had a three-goal cushion, we would have. Just try and rest some players um, for Saturday. But, you know, overall, pretty decent performance. Um, you know, uh, I know there's been a lot of aggro with Barnet. Um, and, you know, especially their chairman and some of their supporters. But, you know, their, their players done them proud again tonight. And um, they gave it a real go in the second half. Um, but, you know, let's look forward towards Swansea and um, and who knows where this cup, cup run can take us. We should have seen that game come to about, even with the players we have on the pitch. I, I appreciate we've got to give these B-teamers a chance and that, but it, it seemed to me we gave the midfield away. So you can't really have a go with the front two that came on. Surely everybody realised now, Josh just can't cut it. Barnett, we're playing Barnett and he still can't deliver. He was given the slow away, silly balls, lazy play. Sorry, I've had enough of him. He's got to go. We've got to take the assignment. The fact we're in the next round. We're going to Swansea. We're going to enjoy our day out. Win, lose or draw. Let's fucking make the most of that. First half wasn't in it at all. Second half, fantastic second half. Just didn't happen. Um, as for my wife, Swansea's on hold at the moment. No romantic weekend away for her. Oh, yeah, Never mind. <laughs> well done for us. The second half reminded us a bit of last week's game. Backwards and forwards, back and forwards, but it just didn't happen, unfortunately. It was a game. I thought we played pretty bad first half, but we got into a second half. I thought we'd done ourselves proud over two legs. Uh, you're obviously the championship side, and we had a uh, the conference side. I thought, you know what, we put it to you. You got yourself lucky. And like, yeah, I thought, you know what, on our day we could have beat you today. I thought we hit the post 2 0. You shut yourself, and we, we, stayed on, we stayed on top since then. And I thought, you know what, we have some of this. And then you got a scrappy goal, scrappy, two scrappy goals in the first half. And you know he dived in the first in the first leg. I thought Brentford, you got very lucky to be in the next round. And I, I come on Barnet, we brought the atmosphere to your ground today. Your Barnet, your home fans were shit. And I thought, come on, yeah, you know what? Yeah. You know, I thought Brentford were very lucky to still be in this to, to go through to the next round. We're a little bit gutted, to be quite honest with you, that your chairman didn't come down here today because apparently he was watching it on his laptop back at the no. the fake hive, innit? it? No, he was at the hive when. You- never seen me in red and black no you haven't because he was at the real hive with a black and amber army yeah your club's a joke giving us that away location for that away end for a non-league side to come to Brentford and I think you know what first half the early goal it did kill us a bit I think you got to admit that and then the second goal as well it's a goal from a set piece that kind of killed us a little bit again but I thought second half we definitely outplayed you hitting the crossbar I think we had a couple of other chances where we could have probably put a mind the net and get us going but um, yeah I mean I think we we run you for a championship side we definitely run you for your money I thought Frank's substitutions then when he when he uh, when he went 3-0 I mean in theory that's textbook but they scored straight away and almost backfired straight away because I thought the young players looked nervous I thought 
we really lack leadership we lacked authority and um, I think Barnett got back to 3-1 Pitt hit the bar at 3-2 in like 80 minutes if that happened it was all, it was all over the place wasn't it um, to, to concede four goals against Barnett I, I think uh, you've got to ask, you've got to start ask questions I think there were some really poor performances by, by Brentford players over those two games. I thought Joshua Keckram was shocking um, over those two matches. I think, uh, you know, you've got to question what is his level now. I don't, I don't think Joshua Keckram, you know, is, is, can come out of these two games against Barnet and be, I think he'll be embarrassed. We got, we got an awkward trip to, to Swansea um, and I'm looking forward to it. I think it's winnable and um, we just got to, we've just got to go down there got a play to our capacity out of potential and we could be looking at could be looking at the quarterfinals bill so there you have it the fans after the game in the pub Brentford fans are well in the pub in the terrace in the ground everything Brentford fans are very very happy the uh, Barnet fans are not very happy at all and uh, the, the game we did what we have to do it's, it was kind of one of those ones where just like Oxford. We did what we had to do, except for it was a bit more convincing than Oxford. I don't totally agree with the Barnet guy who, uh, it was, he had some proper rose-tinted glasses there because he, he, he made a couple of comments about us being lucky and getting a couple of jammy goals and you sort of think, hold on a second, then you go back and you watch the replay on TV and you think, actually, what are you talking about, you know? We've got some well-taken goals, you know. We were very much in command of the game. Yeah, the second half, we, the team changed up a little bit. And, yeah, they hit the post. But, you, you know, you'd expect them to come back into the game. We lost the game a little bit, yeah. But at the end of the day, I was never really nervous that we were actually going to lose that game. Not like I have been for other games at all, Laney. Yeah, um, no, fair play to Barnett. They, you know, they made us work for the, for the cup win. You know, which which is all you can really expect as a non-league club. You you don't want the uh, the you know the, the higher placed team to just steamroll you. You want to be able to, you want to put a good account of your, your team and your club and your badge and um, show show your players off for, for for the best that they can possibly be seen. And they, Barnet did that. You know they you know the the, the drawer at their place um, was a great free kick and you know they they just didn't give up. And you know Brentford finished them off before half time on uh, on Tuesday night. Uh, and to be fair, you know three 0 it was game set and match. And they pulled a goal back. Then you know just after we'd made all our substitutions, and it, it could have gone wrong, and it didn't. But you know again, fair play to Barnet. Like they they there was the game the game at Griffin Park could have swung back in their favour at any stage but it, unfortunately it didn't so you're right Bill um, it's, uh, it, it, it doesn't really matter how you get through as long as you do the, the, we can wait for better performances when we get better opposition obviously we, can, we, we go to Swansea and we have to, we have to play our A team, um, not A team light, not B team plus it's the best team that we can field um, and we have to be really, really focusing on the possibility of getting to the court final which is the first time since he played and uh, you know it's it's a moment in history certainly first time in 14 years like, or the first time since the 90s since the, we went to Liverpool but we again we don't want to jinx anything by saying talking about the quarterfinals now where we've we've got to get through this fifth round game first and like I said to you first time in 14 years like I said to you I said before and 14 years ago my son was born 
almost exactly to the day next week when the game is going to be played. It's the uh, couple of days, it would have been the day afterwards actually that they moved the game. And uh, it coincided with, like I said to you, that Hartlepool game, the Hartlepool replay, I think it was, when I was sitting in hospital, kind of with my fingers crossed, hoping, yes, we'll get through to play Southampton. We did, so it's got a bit of a moment for myself. But um, interestingly, today, Thomas Frank, as well as Phil Giles and Rasmus and Nitty and a load of people were down at West London University. They were giving a, a, a little conference, a mini-conference for students and various people down at West London University. And it was interesting because Thomas Frank actually spoke at that conference today and the one thing that he did talk about he talked about the FA Cup saying how you know he's very very happy um, very very happy indeed with the result obviously but also he said that you know this is a massive opportunity for Brentford to get through to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup so they know that and also they're taking the cup very very seriously so I was very happy when I when I heard that because obviously we talked about this week in and week out and year in and year out how seriously do Brentford take the cup all of a sudden this year like we said we have put in pretty much first team players slotted in a couple of second team players but it's almost better when you put one or two second team players because they actually help to learn from the first team players rather than throwing in 10 first team players second team players and then them losing 4-0 like we did to Derby or was it 5-0 we lost to Derby that time you know when we basically put out a BT yeah. side you know, it's no no good for them you know they're all disheartened it took took some of them about three years to actually kind of get get, get another first team uh, appearance after that one I think so it was some of the criticism after the game was that the uh, players that came on um, when we were 3-0 up didn't look that good. Um, some of ours didn't look that good, didn't fit in the system. What, any views, any opinion on that? Yeah, I got, I'd probably agree with that. Um, unfortunately for them, they came on when we had gone 3-0 up and... Um, Matt Allard was stood next to me, and he, you know, he, he, he can, he's really good at reading the game and reading um, how things are going to pan out. And, and, he, and he said about 15 minutes before um, Morpay scored the third goal, he said, oh, he, he looked at the subs running up and down the line, and he went, well, it's quite clear what's going to happen here. He said, um, Force is going to come on for Morpay. Um, and he said, like, Silver's going to come on, and um, Bonnie's going to come on. Um, and uh, um, and that's exactly that's exactly what happened. Um, we, we we needed that three goal cushion before um, the, the 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 management and the coaches wanted to to, to sort of like take their foot off the gas. But what I thought was going to happen was Brentford were on the offensive. Then three goals down, I think Barnet would have kind of wilted at that stage, and I thought. The first couple of minutes that the, the subs have been made, I thought it will, this is a really good opportunity now for Chidozi Egbonne and, and, and for De Silva and for Force to show what they were capable of with fresh legs. And I thought Force probably stood a good chance to score a goal. And Chidozi Egbonne, he went through and he, he, could, he almost scored. He could have squared it for Force. He, was the right, he did right to, to, to shoot. But after that, Barnett scored with a really, really great shot, and it flipped. And I, I think from from being in total control and it being the perfect time to to, to blood these players, it we we were under the cosh a bit. Barnett thought, "Oh God, we scored one." They hit the bar. It could have been two, and. I'm not saying we we were ever at that stage likely to throw the game away. I don't think we ever were, but I think 
that goal changed things. The goal really came. I don't think Barnett were going to score. I didn't think they were going to score if we played all night. But it was a great finish from a rebound. He took his chance well. And, and I think after that, we went back to the pub and a couple of our, you know, our lot said, geez, you know, uh, we, we have, our, our squad didn't look that strong at the end of the game. You take away three decent players and you replace them with three and we look, we look really average. And I think it, it was a fair comment, but I, th- I, th- I just think, you know, the game was done and dusted and it, it just, the dynamic changed. So, yeah, I think they were the right substitutions, but Barnett scored and it just flipped it. I mean, yeah, Barnett did score. I mean, the one thing I would say is that, you know, Benny, he had a run through the, the middle there all the way to the goalkeeper. Um, okay, good save by the keeper, but um, if that had gone in, that may have been a different scenario for the guy. You know, he scored a goal. He may have picked himself up. So, you know, that could have been an interesting situation. And, and I thought he did very well to uh, yeah, yeah, to get to, to get all the way through there and get through one-on-one with the keeper. You know, force... Um, was doing a lot of running around. Yeah, he was doing a lot of running around. You could see that he was probably trying to do what Thomas Frank has told him to do. You know, make sure you're still pressing, make sure that you, you know, you're, you're up front, but then you pull yourself back. So he was, you know, he was doing a lot of running around. But, you know, it, it, as you say, it's quite, it's difficult to sort of see them under them situations because we, you know, you, you, you can argue to say that maybe they're trying a bit too hard. You know, they're going out there and saying, proving yourself. So, you know, they, they weren't as relaxed as they were meant to be. But, of course, this is the, this is the whole limelight. This is the position they had to be in. And also, it's a great position because we weren't losing. We were winning. So, uh, the pressure is going to be off them to a certain extent to be not losing the game. Laney? No, you, you're right. You know, there, there is pressure on these players to take their opportunity. And, you know, while they get there 15 minutes, 20 minutes and, you know, 30 minutes, they they need to impress. There, there is pressure there. Uh, but one thing I did notice, and it made me realise, Marcus Force got caught offside sort of two or three times when he came on. And I, it made me realise we don't get caught offside anymore, do we? Not that we, much. We, 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 not often. We, no. we we seem to play the ball into areas where there's there's actually not we're not we're with there's defenders always defenders in front of us. We just we stretch rather than try and break break the offside trap. So it did make me realise that you know the ref the uh, referees lines the referees assistants at our place they get quite a quite a um, they don't get a, a great workout with their arms when well, breaking the attack. Well, it depends on what it, what end they're in, of course. You know what I'm saying? You know, yeah. if they're at the other end, then they might be getting a, a great workout. But um, but I mean about that match as well. I mean, you know, uh, you know, talking to the Barnet fans, they said that they were unlucky. Would you agree with the un- unlucky? I mean, I know you've talked about this before, but because this, this is the thing about it with the cup, surely you know. The, the, the nice thing about the cup, in a way, is it's really definitive, right? When you have the league, you know, it's interesting. We, we, we beat Oxford, but we kind of, like, got through and we did it. And I think, you know, you turned around, I know, or was it Barnett? You turned around and you said, well, if that was a league match, I'll be disappointed. But because it's a cup match, I'm happy with it. And at the end of the day, there's, there's kind of only one thing that you need to do in the cup, and that's just win. And we've mm. seen so many teams that have got through in the cup and they've bundled themselves a win in the third round and they've got an easy draw in the fourth round and they've bundled themselves a little win in the fifth round and then before they know it, they're the quarterfinals and so on and so forth. So, so for Brentford, surely it's about getting that win, which is the, which is the key thing, you know? 
yeah it's true and you know from a we 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 got a lifetime's experience of being plucky underdogs that you know put in a decent performance in a in a cup you know whether it be the FA Cup or the League Cup and uh, you kind of you you kind of search for you know you scratch for kind of positives don't you you, you put your, you know it's one of these David versus Goliath encounters where you think that if you if you run a you know a so-called superior side close or you you know or you beat them that makes you you know you makes you like world is yourselves you know but so Barnet were Barnet didn't have anything to lose there they, they could throw everything at this they weren't expected to win they probably weren't ever going to win they had their upset at Sheffield United and uh, you know Brentford had everything to lose and the fact was the fact is that we didn't that's that's all that really matters and you know yeah we probably probably should have been taken to a replay yeah, we probably should have run up a couple more goals at our place. Uh, it's it doesn't really matter. You know, you're right. It's about getting through to the next round. We know that the further we progress in this tournament, if we do progress any further, then we are going to come up with real stern tests, and then we need to put in a performance. You just you just have to beat what's in well, front. Yeah. That's it. And we did. And the other. The other important thing is that now, from fifth round onwards, there are no replays. It all gets decided on the day, night of the game. So I think that that's a real shame. I mean, you know, because part of the sort of thing about the, the particularly for, for smaller clubs, I'm not saying for us, but for other smaller clubs that are, that are around, you know, the idea of, of uh, getting a big team and bringing them home to your place at a replay and turning them over, a bit like Newport did against uh, Middlesbrough on uh, Tuesday night, uh, Wednesday night, would be would be a good thing. However, um, you know that's that's no road out. And if you look back through the years at the FA Cup, recent years, there's always been one Championship or lower league team who've gone really quite far in the tournament. And so, you know, why this, this can't be our year? I don't know. Why again? And just coming on to the, the next round, then we got Swansea. Um, away um, obviously when the draw came out we were on the, I think we were on the train on the way up to Barnet and the draw came out we saw Swansea and it was like a, it was a bit of a oh, you know um, it was I mean obviously you didn't know that you definitely got them but it was almost like you know, this is the next stage now I suppose the fear had been struck in was A it was another championship side B it was another championship side who had we played recently C is a championship side that have just come down from the Premier League, and D they'd also beaten us at Griffin Park, scoring those th- th- quick three goals in the first half, and of course we came back in the second half. Now that game, and I'd very much say that you know, and spe- even speaking to the Swansea fans, they said that they were very very nervous because even though they were three 0 up, they never thought the game was won, and we came back in the second half, and we were very close to getting a draw in that game. Leroy Fur was very instrumental for them, but. This was before we had gone to the three at the back formation and we had Maclocho in the side and we were doing what we're doing at the moment now. So potentially it could be a very different game at Swansea, even though we have only won one away game this so far this season. So, you know, that's going to be bearing at the bottom of the mind. But what better place to win your second away game is what I'd say, the Liberal. Swansea are in a bit of a mess as well. Their chairman's just gone after um, some... What happened at the weekend, where the fans were protesting um, about uh, lack of investment from the American owners? There's talk about Graham Potter, 
um, their manager about whether he'll stick around um, given the lack of investment. Um, and all in all, it doesn't sound a very happy club, which is a shame because it's in the past it's been a really w- well-run club as well and been one that a lot of championship clubs like us might aspire to look to with its fan involvement and supporters being on the board, etc. But they do seem to be in a bit of turmoil now. So if any time is right to strike at them, this is the, this is the time. This is our time. I mean, it is yep. our time as well, and 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 come to Laney in a minute. And, and it's interesting when you say that as well, because I'll have to get a little bit of an update. And we'll be talking probably next week to, to we'll probably be talking to Stephen from SOS Fanzine, which is the the Swansea Fanzine, and they'll be giving us a bit of an update of what's going on because they the initial vibe is that they were talking about striking uh, for the FA Cup game, so they were asking fans to actually boycott the FA Cup that Cup game for a number of various reasons, which I thought hmm, that's kind of bad news but that's also potentially quite good news if we were going down there and we actually got sort of quite a noisy contingent and they sort of haven't even turned up for the game isn't it Laney? Yeah it's uh, there is there is a there is a good argument for there isn't a better time to be going to Swansea at the moment they're not in great form they're not in awful form um, but they're they're wobbly we're in we're in good we're in good spirits Uh, there's you know there's there's every is every indication that we could, you know, at the very least, we could bring them back to Griffin Park, and then, you know, you're looking at looking at the draw for the for the fifth round. There's only six Premier clubs out of the 16 teams that are are in it at the moment, and then Chelsea and Man United are playing each other. Um, so there's there's a good chance if we were to get through the next the next round, there's there's, there's a real good opportunity that we're not going to face a Premiership club. So you know, it, we could go quite, we could go quite far in this in this tournament if if the draw is good to us, and the performance is right at Swansea. But you know, from from your from your information earlier, where you know the the, the coaching and the management team was speaking at the uh, University of Middlesex, then um, you know it, it's or, or it's the University of West London, wasn't it? University of West London, UWL. Yeah. Well, so uh, yeah, well, no, so you know, it's is there's. If, they, if they're saying they're going to take it seriously, the fans should be really kind of encouraged by that. And, you know, um, I'm looking forward to making the trip to, uh, to Wales for the, for the Sunday afternoon. I know it's not, I know it's not perfect, but uh, we'll be there. It's not perfect. I mean, obviously, it's the start of half term. So I know a number of Beast fans have already sort of made plans to to leave and go for half term. So they're a little bit gutted about that. Also, we have a situation where, um, if you know, the, the I think the tunnel or something like that, or the bridge or the tunnel is is um, there's there's problems with that with for where the train's going to go. So there's no trains between Bristol and Cardiff. So if you're actually going to get a train, you have to get a train, then you have to go off and get a bus, and then get a train. It takes you about four and a half hours to get there. So very very. Fantastically and wickedly, the club has decided to lay on free coaches to Swansea. So anyone and everyone who wants to go to Swansea can just jump on a free coach. or probably leave about 11 o'clock, we've worked out, um, from Brentford. We'll get down to Swansea about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It takes about three and three quarters of an hour, maybe nearly four hours to get up there. And uh, yeah, you'll get down to Swansea on the free coach. And you know, hopefully we'll take a good number of fans. The, the away end was two to 3,000, what we, what we gather. Um, 
whether or not we'll take that amount of people, you know, on a Sunday afternoon when it's like that difficult. But you, you just never know. But whatever support you know that will be there, they'll be actually quite potty for it. So uh, it's, I'm very much looking forward to that. You know, we're still working out whether or not we'll take the coach, whether or not we'll still jump on the train, whether or not we'll stay over, whether or not we'll drive. But I think there's lots of people actually thinking those same thoughts at the moment now. The Liberal, like I said to you, you're, uh, like I said to you, you're looking up for, you know, you're looking up for uh, that little trip, aren't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I'll I'll head in. Um, you know, over the Seven Bridge, which is now free, you don't have to pay to enter Wales anymore. So that's the advantage in itself, and uh, you don't even have to pay to get out of it as well. Even right. better. Yeah, Jimmy Mack on the yeah, post-match podcast uh, um, said that was the four o'clock kickoff was a real real problem, and it was one of the reasons why he wasn't too happy about going up to the uh, Premiership because, you know, there will be, if you do that, you've got to expect four o'clock kickoffs on a, on a Sunday. So I think, you know, people ought to turn up uh, a week Sunday to get a bit of ex- experience because in a couple of years time, we'll definitely have a couple of 4pm kickoffs on a Sunday afternoon. So might as well trial how it works for you, family-wise, uh, travel-wise, etc., um, by coming along and supporting the bees at Swansea. All right, okay, so uh, the Liberals uh, have done a bit of prediction there that we're going to be uh, in the Premier League in a couple of years' time, which we like those kind of... uh we like those kind of positivity from our fans, anyway. So FA Cup, we'll be talking more about that next week. But listen, let's have a little, let's have a little break here. Let's have a little chill, and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about a few other things in and around Griffin Park and the Championship. So in and around the Hive, in and around the Championship. So you probably have heard um, Thomas Frank has been nominated for Manager of the Month. <laughs> which is pretty amazing if you can imagine where we were about four weeks ago when uh, there's a, a lot of people wanted him out of the club, you know, for uh, the fact that the results weren't going to plan. So, again, it shows you how much of a difference four weeks may make. Um, he's had a number of very, very good results. He's turned things around. Brentford haven't lost since about the 22nd of December, I think it is. We're now in February. So we haven't lost since then, and we've also had a number of tremendous results, you know, beating Rotherham 4-2. You know, obviously we had a great game against Barnet where we, we didn't lose. OK, we didn't win the first one, we didn't lose. You know, and uh, Stoke City as well, which we we absolutely wiped the floor with them. So that was actually a great result. So, um, you know, Bees have been doing, you know, fantastically over the past month. Thomas Frank has been given manager of the month. Liberal, do you think it is well-deserved? Yeah, of course it is, particularly when there are people calling for his head and doubting whether he was the right person before Christmas. Hands up, I was one. Um, and, yeah, and, and Lady was one, you know. And we were both wrong. It shows, shows what, how little we know about football management and, and, and what goes on. And the good thing about Frank as well is I think he's also uh, built a strong team around him, you know. Um, he's promoted Kevin O'Connor, or Kevin O'Connor's been promoted. Uh, he's got Reese. he's got the other players, other coaches, all quite clearly, they are close-knit team. I am, I've been mightily impressed by him, actually. The strain he must have been under when he, on that bad run. What, not, he didn't win the first 10 games or something? I mean, that, you know, strain must have been intolerable. Fans, fans were booing him. I definitely heard some boos, you know, that the chatter on radio and television was all about, uh, you know, 
podcasts that cover the Football League was all about how Thomas Frank really didn't look as though he was going to be there much longer. And had Brentford made another mistake, had they done a, you know, had they chosen another foreign head coach that uh, didn't fit the Brentford system? But no, Thomas Frank proved them all wrong. And the one thing that really has impressed me is how just how how calm he is he, and serene, even when he walks up to the fans at the end of the game, and that that's a definite credit in his goes in the credit column that he does that I mean he's the first head coach who's done that for a while to us really comes up on applauds all the fans whether it's home and away um, he uh, he portrays this sense serene sense of calm and I'm you know I'm, I'm mightly impressed by the guy the stress as I said the stress and the pressure he must have been under just before Christmas I really do hope that he, he deserves so the nomination. The only thing I would say is I hope he doesn't win because normally whoever wins loses uh, loses the next match. But uh, you know, well done, Thomas Frank, and well done for proving all us doubting Thomases like me wrong. Uh, Laney, I'm just going to ask you. I mean, obviously he Brentford stuck with him through thick and thin, and also not only did they stick with him, it was kind of like when the question and when it's flying around and people are saying that you know, I mean, it all sorts of abuse you know to to frank at the time you know about him being there and saying he was dead man standing and all this kind of stuff why do you think the club they just they were steadfast they didn't even flinch they were just like you know oh yeah okay we've lost eight matches no big deal everything's fine why do you think they took that position what do you think that they saw in him um let me actually just correct i don't did i don't think he got any abuse i thought i, I I saw, I, saw quite a lot, I saw quite a lot of abuse no. online. Well, yeah. okay. well, I, I, I did. Okay. There, obviously, there were individuals that were that overstepped the mark. I, I, I didn't. I didn't <laughs> which Twitter, you know, you, you, you can, you know, you can find abusers, uh, you know, anywhere you look, and you know, in the middle of a, of a run like that, you obviously are going to, you know, stir up some some sort of anger, but. You know, from from people that you know, from the people that I, I you know, I really trust their their opinions. We were just doubting whether he would turn, he could turn it around. I don't know, and and we all we all said that we we hope he would prove us wrong, and we you know we had that our hands on the on the Ouija board or the hands on the like the fortune cookie, and we we were saying that our our senses said that he wouldn't turn it around. Um, so he has, you know, he, cle- he clearly has. So that, you know, so so credit him for that. Credit credit Kev O'Connor for for stepping up and making making a contribution. Credit the players for for clearly um, stepping up two or three gears. Um, there was there were times in that run where they, you, you know, you could question whether they were playing for him, whether they actually believed in. In, in what was happening, but all, all of that seems a long time ago now. So he does deserve to be nominated for the, the Manager of the Month award. Um, I don't. I, I think um, Lee Johnson will get it at Bristol City, but for, for Thomas Frank to be mentioned in it just shows you how far we've come. Um, so the question you asked me was, is it a surprise that the powers that be, and they were unwavering in their support for him? Is that a surprise to me? And, and the answer to that is no. Um, but what do they see? What do they see? They well, they they, they obviously recruited him in the first place. Um, they obviously went and headhunted him, and they they saw an opportunity, and they saw that 
he, his CV was was more than suitable to, to to Brentford, and they probably were dodgy word grooming him for for uh, some stage in the future um, a possible possible sort of head coach role. He was experienced um, uh, international youth level, uh, international um, head coach level. Um, he came in and he and he and he he, he was comfortable in not being top dog and he bowed his time really really well and he contributed to Dean Smith um, and and that set up so when when it's when it was his chance I think the powers that be the DOFs and, and Benham and people that um, make the decisions and they work with the coaches on a day-to-day level on uh, Jersey Road they they knew him inside out and they and they were comfortable with that they 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 obviously know him better than we do. It goes that goes without saying, you know. It's just, you know, we, we can't be expected to know him intimately. So, so they obviously have a working relationship and a, and a friendship with him. So they 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 probably had total trust that they would turn it around. And you know what the analytics are. They would have seen that they the stop the, the start of a stinky run had 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 had, had kind of you know. The shoots of that had started to sprout under under Dean Smith, and, I, and I'm not for one second blaming Dean Smith for the run that fin- that followed. But you know, when when Thomas Frank took over, we we weren't winning every single. It, it didn't turn from from sort of bright sunlight to to to, to dark the darkness of night. It, it, there wasn't a switch that was turned off. It was just. A poor run or the start of the poor run just continued to fester. So, so yeah, it's it's brilliant to to know, and I think there's lessons there's lessons to be learned here because we're learning um, a lot as fans along the way as well. I mean, there's some fans I know that don't wanna don't wanna be educated or don't want to be um, so they don't want to see things uh, in a, in a positive way for some reason. Um, about the setup at Brentford and 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 the way we recruit and the way we sell and the way we play necessarily, but I think for the vast majority of fans, that that, that, that they're reassured that the people making the decisions, um, they don't often get it wrong, so it, it's good. I'll tell you the other thing. I think he was brave um, is changing a formation, going the three four three, playing and you know and. Agreeing that yeah, to see Meps leave in the transfer window. I mean, yeah, I know we got got tons of money for Mepham, and he would probably have gone anyway. But um, you know, he definitely made it at what was a sticky time. He made changes in the way in, in the tactics in the tactical lineup of the team, and that's worked for him as well. And that again is a sign of yeah, bravery is the right word because you know it'd be t- very easy to stick with what you had been doing in the hope that plan A would work. He saw that plan A wasn't working and thought, right, okay, let's refine it a bit, go to plan B. And plan B is definitely working for him at the moment. Yeah, and I don't think it's, and it's not a, definitely not a situation of being a, a sort of know-it-all or anything like that, but obviously you know that I sort of stuck behind Thomas Frank. And I think part of the reason why is that I stuck behind him because I wanted it to work. So it's one of those situations where even though it looked like we weren't winning and we were losing confidence, you really wanted it to work because... You, first of all, you, you have to believe in the people that kind of employ him and the system. And the second thing is, and you know I've said this through numerous people, that I think if you, if you employ somebody and you have done your due diligence and then you employ somebody, then you it's your responsibility, I think, as a company 
to go through and support that person. You know, if you as a person, Liberal Nick or Laney, was employed as a boss who was the CEO or somebody very good in, high up in a company, <coughs> it's, it's the, it is the duty of that company to try and give that person as much support because when you interview them and you do your due diligence, you make a decision to say this person is the right person for the job. And if you change your mind after three or four weeks, it just basically means you, you haven't done a very good job. It's not their fault. You haven't done a very good job. So for me, I'm thinking that Thomas Frank, they've obviously, they're unflinching. He's, gone, he's been there for two years. How could you make such a, a grave mistake, you know, as somebody that's been there for two years? So for me, it was almost like I wanted it to work. He's part of the Brentford thing. If, if, he, if he left... You're in a situation where you have to bring somebody else in and it's too much change. And, and I'm re- I really do hate that in football. We're too many teams. They're too knee-jerky the whole time. You know, they, they are. We talked about it to Martin Allen, you know, even, even last week. What they do is if it's not working within six weeks or eight weeks, they knee-jerk and they change it again and again and again. And they actually don't look at their own system to see, well, actually, maybe it's not working because our infrastructure is wrong. The way that we work is wrong. The people that we employ around them is wrong. You know what I'm saying? So... That's me sort of getting on my soapbox. So I'm actually really pleased that it's started to work out. And now that's happened, you've seen that, you know, as we said to him, he's embracing the fans. You know, he's really enjoying it. I think one of the things that he said at, at West London University today, he says he's actually really honoured to be working for such a wonderful club. That was his opening line, apparently, you know. And those sort of things you sort of think, you know, it's, it's only Brentford, mate. But the fact that you're saying that you actually love being here and you're honoured to, to, to work for such a club like this, that was interesting. Those are the kind of lines, and they're going to bring it back to that Warburton used to say about Brentford. When it, oh, yeah. such a wonderful club. Oh, I love working with this club. It's a wonderful club. But then, you know, he goes off and does all these other things that he does. So it's kind of like, well, he's obviously yeah, not like, going like that much. Like, back a little bit, Bill. I mean, you know, he, he, he's, got, he's better than it. He's a lot better than he was, but he's not sort of right. Like, you know, I don't think we put him on a on a top <laughs> pedestal quite yet. We're not know? putting him on a pedestal, but he's only been in. He's only been the job for two and a half months. Yeah. You know what I mean, and I also say what what is really reassuring is it shows. You know, you talk about the other clubs making a knee jerk knee jerk decisions in football. It shows you, I think, how comfortable the other. The other decision makers are in their in their in their sort of positions. How um, confident they are, um, and 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 secure because they don't feel they they were under pressure. Because like you'll find that the CEO or whoever whoever's the higher and fire in another club, they they feel like their necks on the line as well. If they don't make a decision about a manager or a head coach, um, if they don't fire him, then it's gonna it's gonna look like they're weak. But I think that everyone's kind of really calm at our place because everyone's comfortable and they know that they're there for the for the long term. So well, it, I think what's, I think what's more to the point there, right? A little bit easier, maybe. But you, I think what's more to the point, and it's adding to your point, which is true. I think what's more to the point is that it's this thing that we've talked about before. It's a collaboration thing where basically everyone's on the same page. If everyone's yeah. not on the same page it makes it really difficult to make decisions. So if you've got the, the head coach or whoever it is going off and making a decision to the left and everyone's to the right, it makes it difficult. So for them to sort of spend three or four years getting everyone to understand what the ethos is about on the same page, then all of a sudden they could sit around and say, this person's right, that's not person's right. Oh, the reason why we're sticking with this person is because of X, Y, Z, A, B and C, because they're all on the same page and they, they, know, they know where they're heading to. And obviously you need someone who's going to be at the top, who's going to make an ultimate decision at the end of the day. And, you know, that's probably Matt Benham or he might have his 
right hand person whoever that may be to sort of kind of liaise with but at the end of the day it kind of is obviously working for us and every time there's a little chink in our armor where it looks like things are not going right you notice that people are really quick to jump on it so people were they hated us then all of a sudden they all loved us at the beginning of the season which is really weird because we're thinking oh my god they all loved us now this is actually quite a weird situation to be in everyone's expecting us to win the league and all this oh no we can't be having that then all of a sudden as soon as we have a bad run they all jumped on it immediately all the stats have gone wrong or blah 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 this, that, oh the Brentford yeah, yeah see I told you it's a nonsense situation and then all of a sudden it's okay it's only been a month month and a bit but it's changed but we've seen the football is very good so people can't deny that football is but whatever you may say about pedestals and all that lot the football is good so it shows that we are able to play the football you show that the head coach is able to make them play the football so you can't deny that so it's there so all those arguments that they had beforehand where they're trying to knock us down they're gone because like you know at the end of the day you know parkinson from bolton he ain't going to make his team play football like that there's certain people that aren't able to do that and, and he is so all i'm trying to say to you is that people you know they'll be there to try, they're always there to try and knock us down you know, as a team, and I think that we just need to kind of, like I said, you keep sticking to our um, principles. But obviously, if it ain't working and it ain't right, then we, we move left and right, and that's the whole thing. But I'm going to just come back to just ask you a quick question. I mean, Laney, what what is your favourite colour? God dear, this is like some sort of five-year-old's birthday party. Um, um, my, I guess I would say, in terms of the colour, I would probably would say red. I've had more red cars than any other colour. Um, in terms of clothing, probably blue. But if I had to choose between blue versus red in a in a in a head to head, I'd, I'd probably go red is my favourite colour. Okay, so red for Laney and the Liberal Nick. What colour is yours? Uh, I like a brown. Just brought a nice brown tweed suit, actually. Uh, looks good on me. Uh, brown. Just be the judge of that. Yeah. Uh, I got complimented by two young ladies on the cut of my jib this week, so I'm very proud I was, you know. Made an old man very happy. Yeah. Uh, uh, and also, I have a strong affection for a yellow as well but okay. brown probably brown probably brown okay and for me you know if i look at the sort of the the, the, the things that are but blue blue we said dark blue for me as well I, I do like red and a dark blue for me as well is probably the one that i normally pull myself to to go to so um and the reason why i'm asking is that did, i don't know if you know but um we're talking about why did brentford choose thomas frank um, and why do they stick by him? But also, did you know that one of the um, the things that they did when they recruited him, they asked him to do a colour personality test. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he did a colour personality test. So, so let me just let he you... Wear, he wears black. He, 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 he wears black all the time. I've never seen him wear anything else but black. Well, that's why we're going to... That's why we're black. <laughs> So, um, so listen, so just to let you know, so, I mean, if, if the colour personality, if you'd gone in for the club and you had to do the, you know, and you are going to be going the head coach, you had the colour personality test, Laney, you would be, uh, well, red is strong-willed with ambition and energy. So uh, that, that's what they'd be thinking of you, and they'll be, like, putting you into a little, in a little corner. And the liberal Nick, you will be uh, brown. You enjoy life with close relationships and friends. 
So, uh, so that's where uh, you that's are. That's rather sweet, that. That's, yeah. That makes me sound rather cuddly, that. I quite <laughs> like that. Yeah, that's yeah, and, right. and, and I'm, I'm blue is um, fixed principles and desire to live according to these principles peaceful except when bourbon and fans annoy you yeah <laughs> I've got on my chart my, my, the, my chart is, is brown it says dull boring repetitive that's what it is and lives in the country mine says, says red Argumentative, winds up merchant, and drinks too much. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I just wondered, so I mean, just quickly going through them. So, red, we, we know what red, we know what blue is. Green is safety, security, and acknowledgement needs needs to be loved. Yellow is perfection and dreamers. Orange is go. social butterfly. We know what brown is. Um, black, independent and strong. And white, simplicity, openness, purity, confident personality. Now, which one of those do you think Thomas Frank? was funny white simplicity openness purity confident personality yeah 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 no lady's right white definitely yeah it's yeah, interesting I, I wasn't sure I thought he might have been uh, he, he might have been um, he might have been a yellow perfection and dreamers but is he a dreamer mm. though he doesn't strike me as a dreamer not a dreamer no, no. Per- perfection yeah he's definitely a perfectionist but does, he doesn't strike me as a dreamer he's far too He's far too logical and analytical to be a dreamer. He yeah. knows what he wants to achieve. He knows what he wants th- his players th- to do. I thought that maybe I thought that maybe blue were fixed principles and desire to live according to these principles, but but peaceful. Hmm. Since when have you had principles, Bill? No, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. You know. So, so, so what did he answer then? Do we know? <laughs> no, no. Well, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what the answer is to to Thomas Frank. But you know. But maybe, like I said to you, um, we may be able to find out in the very near future. But I mean, everyone's had a little guess there. We've had um, two whites and and a, and a blue. So uh, you know, if we ever actually come across him, we is can actually put Twitter? the question to him. Is hey? he on Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> He's not on Twitter, is he? No, no, no. It's, it's you know, it's you know, he likes simplicity and openness. You know, purity. So, um, so definitely not. So, but we'll get onto that in a minute. So, listen, moving on from Thomas Frank, um, there was also another set of awards which our players were in for, um, the PFA Player of the Month Award. Um, Rico Henry and Saeed Benrahma were both in for that award, and surprise, surprise, of course we didn't get it. It was won by Norwich. I can't remember who, who won it for. Um, was it for two? Um, yeah, but Norwich player won it. Um, the thing I, the, the problem, and I always had this with this award, and that's why you sort of think, what's the point of going up for it? It's one of these awards where it's kind of one of those ones where you give it, the, the, the player who will win it normally is, is, the, is with the club who can basically ramp up the most social media, bigger fan base, bigger social media accounts, you know, and actually put an orchestrated campaign around it. And that's kind of how it works. Works out great for the sponsors because they get loads and loads of exposure. So what they'll do is they'll give it to a PR company and they'll say to them, right, put this out and tell these clubs they get the PFA award, their logo's all over it. They'll tweet it out all over. They get loads of exposure and the sponsor's really happy. So everyone's been paid. But unfortunately, players like Henry and Ben Rama will miss out because, you know, Brentford, you know, we're cool, but we've only got a certain amount of power when you, you know, you come up against Aston Villa or Norwich or Leeds or Derby stuff. So... Not, not feeling bitter or anything like that, but um, yeah, we just like I said to you, we didn't win on that one, which is a, a little bit of a shame. Did um, any Leeds players win, Bill, or is the football league corrupt? 
Well, I think the football football league is corrupt because I don't think any Leeds, I don't know if any Leeds players got nominated this time either as well. So I think, you know, another example of the world being against Leeds United, I think. Yeah, but but the Ben Rama's performances, you know, he's really turned the corner, hasn't he? He's fantastic. Um, Brilliant to watch because, again, there have been a few doubting Thomases about it, but he's taken off. And uh, God, if he can run through to the end of the season on this form, boy, could we go somewhere. And, and and you're absolutely right. I mean, Ben Rama. I mean, again, you know, even that game that we played against Barnet, that free kick that he took yeah. was absolutely. I mean, it'll not be funny. Talk about pin pinpoint perfect, where he floated it just to the right point for the ball to be slotted into the back of the net. Um, we saw it. I remember, like I said, you're, and I've said this before. When I remember at the beginning of the season, when I stood with Laney and Ben Rama didn't play for quite a few of the friendlies, and then he turned up in the the friendly that we played. Who, who did we play at the beginning of the season? It was a league side that we played. Laney, um, yeah, uh, Liberal, yeah, and, can't remember, yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, we, we, yeah, we played, and, and and we saw Ben Rama play, and we just turned around and said, "Oh God, this guy's he, he's he's magic. He's a little bit of a genius." And it took him a little bit of time because Brentford didn't throw him into the into the four immediately. They sort of dripped him in slowly. But as you can see him, he's just getting better and better. And for what I've heard, he's the player who uh, a lot of players, when they're doing practice, they all want to be on his side because he's the, he's the trickster, he's the band, he's the skills. And uh, you see that, I don't know if you've seen that little gif. Well, no, it wasn't him where he did his, uh, did he do the... Um, was it was it him that did the the, the nutmeg as well? Yeah, no, it's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, right. on the extended highlights, they yeah. actually they're on the extended highlights of the game. They don't normally play replays, but they should. I think it was about two replays of that nutmeg. It was looked absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah. Flying flying down the wing, you know, running running around, and and it's obviously he's obviously sort of starting to build a really good relationship with Malpe as well because it was quite interesting. If you sit back and watch on watch the, the matches on video. You can see Malpe all the time looking for it. And it goes back to the point you made earlier, Bill, that I didn't pick up on the time. The one other difference this season is Malpe has learned how to play off the shoulder of the last defender. What he was doing last season was he was always just... He was too ahead of the, he was too ahead of the last defender. I think obviously there's been some good coaching work with him over the summer and over the course of this season, so that now he's he's right on. I bet you if you looked down the line like, like the assistant referees do, you wouldn't see an ounce of daylight between um, Malpe and the next and a, a bit of daylight between Malpe and the and the last defender. But he's learned that he just needs to be that little bit back before going in which makes it really strong and just to check out if you ever look at besotted.com tomorrow or tomorrow or now when you probably by the time you listen to this on friday hopefully it should be up by then there's a to be another article by one of our new um correspondents as we call them you know contributors david anderson as well I was chatting to him a little bit earlier today and he's doing do a little bit of a matchup a pre-match matchup so he's going to be looking at a couple of players for this one he's going to be looking at saeed ben rama versus uh Cavallo. For, for you know for for forests and obviously Cavallo <laughs> costs quite a lot of money you know and he's going to be just looking at different stats and you know just the way that they play and a little quick little matchup so that we could see how these two players are matching up before we go into the forest game so that could be quite interesting yeah so I mean Ben Rama brilliant player like I said you know he, he he has just gone up number of levels and like I said you check that out besotted.com it's going to be very, very interesting just to, just to match it up and just see how he's stepping up those levels. And it just goes to show you his contribution, his passing, 
the touches in the box. You'll see all this information, like I said to you, in uh, David Anderson's article. But what's also very interesting, we talk about the, the youth of teams. Uh, you know, sometimes they turn around and say, you don't win anything with young players. You know, we, um, we, we won against Barnet with young players. Um, we had a very young side. And also, there's a stat that said that all the four players who scored for Brentford were under 23. You know, so we've got Ben Rama, we had uh, Malpe, we had Kenyos, and we had, um, who, scored the, who scored the fourth goal? Watkins. Watkins, of course. Yeah, of course, Watkins as well. So all players um, um, are, are young, under 23. And there's a little stat that's also been flying around out there as well, which is saying, it's just matched up all the teams actually in the EFL who have players who are under 23 and how many minutes time they've given to under 23 players so if you look at um, the top of the league is actually interestingly is Swansea they've got the players with the most under 23 players they play 12 they've got 12,648 minutes not including known players um, you know so 12,000 12 and a half thousand minutes Swansea um, apparently that's because of their transfer policy because their owner won't actually buy any players for them so they've had to bring their players through the second highest is Brentford, with 12, just under 12,500 minutes as well. And we've got no known players, so that minute is exactly the same, known players and non-known players. Then just behind that, um, 10,000 plus is Bristol City, Preston with 10,000 minutes as well, Norwich with 8,000, 8,500 minutes, Blackburn with 8,500 minutes, 7, Hull with 7,000 minutes, and it goes down. Leeds are sort of ninth in the table, QPR 11th in the table. But interestingly, when you go to the bottom, Sheffield United, who are doing very well in the league at the moment now, very high in XG, very high in the table, very highly rated. Zero minutes to under 23 players. No minutes at all. Nothing. All their players are older and very old. Um, but they're doing very well. So is experience count for them? Is it working? Is it one of those things where they might, they might you know, do very well, but they might drop off? You know, Again, I can't answer that one. Bolton Wanderers, 188 minutes, so they're kind of old and ageing and maybe the players that are bringing in are the only players that they can get in because of the financial constraints that they've got and the economic constraints and that. Rotherham, 522 minutes, or 552 minutes. West Brom, interestingly, fourth from bottom at 563 minutes, so just dropped down from the Premier League, you know, relatively an older side, which is out there, you might say it's a sort of, it could be a middling experience side that they've got, and there's Stoke City. Um, shot straight up from 2,244 so it's sort of you know compared to West Brom who's only 563 Stoke is 20th with 2,244 minutes uh, Derby 2,853 so it's just showing Aston Villa 17th with 3,000 minutes as well so it just goes to show you the difference between say Brentford of 12,000 and uh, you know Aston Villa with 3,000 minutes and West Brom with 500 minutes and Sheffield United with North minutes Laney what's your thought on that? So you say we were second? Yes, we're second. Swansea? Yeah. And you, and you say the, the mitigating circumstances, the reason we're not top, is, is clearly our strategy. You know, we, we, we are picking, the, the 23-year-olds are our first team players. Right? They're chosen, they're hand-picked, they're cherry-picked. Swansea, you say, their, their youth, their under-23s are getting time because they're being frustrated in the transfer market so probably their their preferred strategy was would be to have more experienced players in there but then they're not able to do that so they're they're looking to the youth team so they're kind of in a full what i'm saying is like brentford would be top out of choice and the 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 sheffield united stat so they are the complete opposite 
of our model. Yeah. They are trying to get out of this division or get up through, uh, get up, become an established championship team using experience. So I, I don't think their their structure is as visionary as ours in that respect, and they're probably not going to get any return on their investment or, or less return on the investment. They're probably paying more for players and they're probably going to get less money for those players um, because they're going to be older when they sell them. In in our in, in our case, you know, for Scott Hogan, for example, you know, um, Scott Hogan versus Canos now. So Canos is, is obviously, his star's rising. He's, he's worth more than... And Scott Hogan, yet yeah, Scott Hogan's now at, at, at Sheffield United. So you know, it's it's interesting. It's interesting. Wilder, as as, as it's working for him, and you can't knock it. I'm not saying one one system's right, one system's wrong, but it, it's clear that Brentford's Brentford's vision is is very deliberate here. Okay, it's deliberate, but I mean, Sheffield United would argue, well, you know. Okay, we won't get any return for these players, but we're going to get 150 million in the pot. So it's kind of worked yeah. for us. Yeah, it's boom, it's boom or bust, Bill. It's the, it's boom or bust. These clubs absolutely spend fortunes going for it, and if it doesn't work, then they slip back down the league. I mean, you know, I'd far rather be Brentford and you know watching exciting new young players coming through all the time than watching old and in some cases has been pros trying to recreate careers for six months to get a team into the promised land and if it doesn't work off they go again journeyman stuff you know I'd far rather watch us far rather watch us again I'm just coming back to Sheffield United I mean Sheffield United are, are you know they, they haven't spent loads of money I might be wrong but you know you know John Egan was four million and he was a record signing for them so you know to me that they, they, they you know okay they've got McColdrick they've got these I mean I don't know they might be on huge wages I've got no idea but they don't seem to be to be in the same sort of kind of same sort of, sort of basket as, as Derby County or, or you know even Leeds United or definitely Aston Villa at all probably not I mean that's probably be a bit unfair on Sheffield United but it does but there is no long-term plan at these these clubs uh, the long-term plan seems to be um, spent spend what you can and it may be as much as they can in Sheffield United's case it definitely is less than Derby and, and Leeds etc but you know I'd far rather spend wisely like Brentford and watch us develop players who play a certain type of football and play a certain way than, than going for broke every time it just doesn't work you know I, you know, I, I, as I said just a couple of percent ago I'm not saying there's like there's a there's a, there's a right there's the right way and, and, a, and a wrong way here. But what I'm saying is Brentford's business model is clearly set out. We can see it's, it's about youth. It's about um, maximising um, their, their, their the, the, the youth energy and their potential to grow, and then selling to another club who who are who, who aren't as who aren't as visionary or aren't as well connected as us. And as, you know, obviously, at some stage, I'm hoping that we we keep the very best of our our crop of talent, and we we're able to build a team that's capable of really, really, really pushing. Um, so you know, it, it, it's it's really difficult. There, there, there's no right way and a wrong way, but it's, it it makes those stats and it shows that the reliance or the or the, the kind of the, the opportunities for young players. It's only going to help us 
um, attract more young players as well. There is no right or wrong, and you are, you're right there as well. Well, I think what an interesting point there is, is what you talked about a little bit earlier when we talked about um, the vision for the club and what the club's doing. Now, going back to, say, for example, Sheffield United or going back to, you know, Stoke City is probably a good example or Derby County. Um, if, if these, if the, or, or, or Nottingham Forest, a brilliant example. If these managers come in and they don't deliver within a relatively short period of time, they're, on the, they're sacked. So at the end of the day, if you think about it, if a manager is involved in the buying and selling of players, he doesn't kind of really care about the long-term vision of the club because he's not really, that's not, his, that's, not his, that's not his remit. His remit is to just get them up. So if it means that you've got to buy somebody who's 32 years old, but he thinks they can score a few goals, he doesn't really care if he's not worth you know, any money in two years' time because that's not his remit. That's the remit of the directors of football, the owner. So all of a sudden, that's probably why you can see there's loggerheads between two sets of people because all of a sudden, the, 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 the manager's thinking, I just need to get some results because if I don't, you're going to kick me out. The director of footballs are trying to sign and they probably get different sort of kind of situations where the director of football may be trying to find some value. The owner, the, the, the manager, if he's got, if he's able to buy players, he just wants to get players that get results. And also just, and this is what it comes back to sort of kind of this whole Brentford thing where it's taken three or four years for us to kind of get everyone on the same page. So if, for example, Brentford are saying, well, we need to bring our B team youth through and we end up having to bring B team youth through instead of, buying another player in the window for three or four or five million because everyone's been collaboratively part of that decision in a way they can't blame the head coach because he's had to kind of he's had his hands tied to a certain extent to say you have to, have to your job is to develop this player and bring them through because that's what our system's about whereas if it's at Sheffield United he'd bring, he'd bring another player for, you know, who's 32 years old so in a way everyone has to actually be more patient to actually try and make the, the system work better D does that make sense you know what I'm saying yeah no, it does but I, I'm, I also don't think we're the only club that's kind of got a, a really healthy relationship between the owners and the, and the DOFs and the, and the head coach you know, I think Sheffield United clearly, you know, they, it would appear they, they know now they've got Wilder and he's got them out of um, League One. They they've sat down and they've worked out they're comfortable with the manager. He's he's not obviously not going anywhere anytime soon. We, you know, they're they're going to stick they're going to stick with him, um, and he's hitting, he's going to stick with them. And they've worked out this is their, their their best their best chance of getting back into the top flight. And he also makes the signings. Don't forget, he's the one that actually buys them. He he, he chooses the players, so he's got they've got a very different system to us. So whatever they do, it's what he does. I like that player. I don't like that player. So in effect, of course they're going to have unity because unity is him and the people around him, and and and, and it's going to be going the right way. It's only until the chairman or the owner says we don't like that, then he'll get sacked. Whereas with us. You've got three or four or five different people who are involved in that decision-making process. You, know, you, you understand what I'm saying? So, it, if yeah, and if they don't, if they're not all on the same page, it's just not going to work. It's just, it's just not going to work because you'll end up getting probably a Karanka-type situation where obviously Karanka walked out of Nottingham Forest because the owners wanted to do one thing and he wanted to do another thing. He wanted to get in his old sort of kind of sort of, you know, 32-year-old players on big wages and they were thinking, well, we're not quite happy with that. So in the end, he's walked out of Forest. But um, just come, just briefly, just coming back to that as well, there was also another interesting little stat as well, Laney, about the about games that we won, wasn't there? 
Yep, it's um, we're we're breaking breaking a kind of a very very long-standing record at Brentford Football Club. Um, Brentford have scored three or more goals in five consecutive games in all competitions for the very first time since entering the Football League in 1920. So you could argue that this this sequence of results has been the most fruitful in the in our professional club years. We've scored more goals in consecutive games, albeit that you know six of those are against a non-league team. But regardless, um, you know, so it, I think what that shows is that um, we are not reliant at this moment on just one player. And that's that's something you could have squared at us um, up until fairly recently. You know, if Morpay didn't score, then Brentford didn't score up until, you know, a month ago. And the goals at the moment are being spread throughout the team. Um, and, you know, what is really encouraging is they're not, we're not reliant on big defenders coming forward. Um, we're not we're not scoring sort of you know corners where when you send the uh, you send that you know everyone up unless John Vier is up there of course <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> yes John Vier is up there John Vier uh, where's he from Bill <laughs> so yeah so we we are sharing the goals around and you know I think obviously we were delighted up at Rotherham when Macocho from midfield um, waded in with a couple that's that's the ideal situation where you've got your striker, your, your lead striker, who's now hit 20 goals this season um, in all competitions. You've got your your wide men. You've got your your number 10. You've got you, you know your all your attacking players are sharing the goals out, and you've got midfielders wading in with a, with a handful as well. That's what you really want. So uh, at the moment, there are very very few complaints. Okay, excellent. Very, very few complaints. So, listen, obviously very positive going into the game on Saturday against Nottingham Forest. And we should be positive because we have a very good record against Forest, but we don't want to jinx it. So we're going to go over and listen to the words of Scott Ely, Forest fan, big, big Forest fan. He's going to tell us exactly what his thoughts are in Five from the Hive. Five from the Hive, Nottingham Forest. Hi, this is Scott from Lincoln, long-suffering Nottingham Forest fan who at the moment is coping with yet another club meltdown following Arta Karanka's departure at the start of the new year. Uh, Forest have been called many things over the years, but at the very least I can say it's never dull. For a brief period it looked like we might be putting those soap opera days behind us with constant change of manager, but true to form, uh, Karanka's gone after um, half of this season and the optimism of promotion seems to be kind of drifting away really quickly. Forest have had 16 managers in eight years. That's some turnover. You now have Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane. Are you happy they'll bring some stability? So we're now kind of on our 16th manager in eight years. Martin O'Neill and Roy Keane are here. Can they bring any stability? Uh, I would like to think so, but at the same time, I kind of highly doubt it. 
Marinakis, our owner, um, also owns Greek giants Olympiakos. And the turnover there of managers is staggeringly familiar. And this is despite them winning kind of the, you know, the Greek league kind of year on year and qualifying for the Champions League. Um, recently, there's been Mark Warburton um, in charge at Forest, and that's kind of the obvious uh, link between um, ourselves and Brentford. Um, Warburton kind of started quite positively, um, brought back a, you know an attacking and passing game at Forest, which I really liked. Um, and we managed to stay up that year. Uh, we were in a relegation battle when he started, and we managed to stay up on goal difference. Um, he was allowed to kind of continue, signed a three-year contract in the summer, but the recruitment was a bit strange. We kind of signed some Scottish players who kind of weren't unproven, uh, weren't proven in the in, in the Scottish Prem. Um, and whilst they started kind of reasonably bright, uh, brightly, things started to tail off kind of around November time. Warburton was kind of a bit of a fool to himself that, you know, he wouldn't adapt his tactics um, and he almost kind of fell on his own sword, really. And the problem was he didn't have the tools for the job. He was kind of asking, you know, a poor squad to be, you know, to be confident um, on the ball and in possession and receive it in difficult areas. Um, and a lot of them really struggled with it. Um, and I just wish he'd been a bit more stubborn and just allowed himself more time to build up a squad of players that were more capable of doing that. Um, but it wasn't to be the case. There was kind of rumours that, you know, he wanted more Scottish players in the following January. Um, and things just kind of slid quite badly. And it was kind of akin to a an England batting collapse at the West Indies, if you like. It was, uh, they kind of lost game after game. And that was it, and he was done. Um, but it, it's funny to think that, you know, we're now a year on, and whilst Karanka's been in charge, we're kind of, you know, we've got another new manager um, in Martin O'Neill. I wasn't a big fan of Karanka's style of play, to be honest. Um, I think there were, there's been rumours of fallouts. Um, we appointed a, a director of football in November, and that really seems to have been the catalyst for, for him going. Apparently, um, Training wasn't being taken properly, um, that he wasn't he was unhappy, and that was kind of filtering down to the players, and he'd allegedly threatened to quit uh, twice before he eventually did in January. So it was a disappointment um, considering the timing. I think we he should have had another kind of transfer window to improve us. And obviously, we were still kind of, you know, on the on the edge of the playoffs. But O'Neill's in. Um, he wouldn't have been my first choice. I was hoping we would have got somebody with a a more attacking approach. Um, maybe Yukanovic. Even I'd have trusted Warburton to get a song out of this current squad of players. But O'Neill's been kind of compared to a dinosaur already with his tactics. He played four four two at home on his first game against Bristol City. Um, and I don't think I've seen that at Forest since about 1988. So that definitely poured fuel on that particular fire um, with those fans saying that his tactics are outdated. You spent loads and loads of money. Gavaglio, 13.5 million. Graben, 6 million. Sudani, 2.7 million. Figueredo, 2 million. Heffler, well, 300,000. Do you think that's value for money? Lots been said about uh, the money that Forrest have you know, spent this summer, according to a lot of media kind of outlets, we're now, you know, we're the big spending Nottingham Forest of the Championship. 
Um, but the signings have definitely been hit and miss. There's been some good investment in the last year on the likes of Joe Carvalho, Lewis Graben and Joe Lolly. And I think those three are, you know, they're match winners on the day. Um, we've got Jack Cole back on loan from Newcastle, who's been, you know, a really good acquisition. And Jack Robinson was a free from QPR, so he looks good at left back. Um, the biggest disappointments have been with some of the the kind of the, the overseas players. Uh, we had two other Portuguese lads in Consalves and Diaz who came with Carvalho, and they've really disappointed when we were hoping that we might be getting something similar to what Wolves had last season with their Portuguese contingent, but it's really not kind of panned out that way. Um, we also um, have an Algerian lad, Sudani, who we signed from Dynamo Zagreb for three million, um, who had good pedigree and scored twenty plus goals in their in their league uh, for a couple of seasons on the bounce. But he's only made eight appearances this season, and he's been out injured, um, kind of on and off. So it's, that's been a you know a real disappointment. Um, in terms of injuries, uh, Michael Dawson was a free transfer from Hull in the summer and he's been a huge player for us. Um, his leadership qualities had kind of really rubbed off on the uh, the rest of the back four and the goalkeeper. But he got injured uh, in, in the Ipswich game, which kind of, kind of coincided with Karanka's downfall. And we haven't been the same since he's been injured. Um, and what hasn't helped that we've had a centre-back kind of crisis with Figueredo and Heffale both being injured for long periods. Heffale won't play again this season. And Danny Fox has also been injured for a long time and he was club captain. So um, it's, been a, it's been a massive problem for Forrest where uh, Jack Robinson, our left-back, has then had to move it to centre-half and we've had a midfielder playing at left-back. So it really hasn't worked and it's not been helpful. But we've made a couple of reinforcements in January with some centre-halves. Uh, we've bought Bonatini in from Wolves on loan, so he's got good pedigree. And we've also signed Pele, um, so he has to be top quality. There's certainly a feel-good factor around Forest at the moment. Four consecutive sellouts. Are the fans happy? With the regards to the kind of the feel-good factor at Forest with the sellout crowds, this is going to be probably our fourth on the bounce, and it'll be five on the bounce with the Derby game coming up later in the month. Um, you know, it's, it's amazing, really, considering that we've only kind of picked up two points from the last possible 18, and we sell out, you know, away too. So, Forest fans definitely deserve better. Um, the issue that we've got at the moment is the kind of the fan base is split. Uh, May didn't want Karanka to go, and you know, a lot of people are underwhelmed by Martin O'Neill. I think Forest fans would have loved Martin O'Neill 20 years ago, but. I think we're kind of thinking, is he the right man, you know, for the job at this time? So what hasn't helped is the fact that, you know, he hasn't started his two best players in Carvalho and Graben. They haven't started for him yet in three games. And we've been playing Daryl Murphy and uh, Ben Watson, another veteran in their place. So I'm hoping that Graben's had a knock and Carvalho's needed a rest because if O'Neill's going to persevere with the veterans over those two, then it's not going to end well. You were at Griffin Park earlier this season. What do you think of the Brentford team you saw that day? Any players making you nervous? With Brentford coming on Saturday, I'm hoping it's more of a contest than uh, what it was at Griffin Park earlier in the season. Uh, Forrest have played off the pitch on that day. The performance was probably the first nail in Karanka's coffin. It was, it was that poor. And that was, got, I think, got the alarm bells ringing with the owners, given the kind of money that had been spent. Um, the style of play between Forrest and Brentford on that day was, you know, was worlds apart. And it has been for a number of years. 
Um, and that's something that I'm really envious about. Um, you know, I can only name a handful of Brentford players, but you know, I think that's testament to the owners that they've built such a brand of football that continues to be sustainable and the recruitment is right in terms of who the next manager is and who the next players are coming in. So, you know, it's, it's amazing. You seem as strong as ever in that department. I was disappointed when Dean Smith went. Um, it looked like you boys were going to have a really good season. So, um, yeah, I thought that was a massive shame. But it looks like you kind of start to pick up under the new man again. It looks like, you, you know, you've, you've put a run together already and it's whether you can keep it going because momentum is everything, you know, in the championship. In terms of players who stood out on that day, I think I'd have to go with Romain Sawyers. He just seemed to kind of have the freedom of, uh, of Griffin Park and Forrest got nowhere near him and he was just allowed to dictate the play. Um, and that was really frustrating. So Forrest can't allow that to happen again on Saturday. Malpai missed that game uh, through suspension, I think. So he'll be back on Saturday. And I know that uh, Canos always has games against Forrest and Ollie Watkins. So they'll be the obvious, the obvious threats. Brentford have a good record against Forrest, only having lost once in nine games. They also have a tremendous record at the city ground having only lost there in 2007 in recent times, although I don't want to jinx it. Do you have a positive feeling about the game? Give us a score prediction. Coming on to the game, I think, uh, fingers crossed, it'll be an open one. Um, and hopefully there'll be some decent football. It seemed like you had a huge win at the weekend against Blackburn, who, you know, their playoff hopefuls. Um it, with your kind of upturn in, in form, you kind of I think it's nine unbeaten and scoring goals at will. This, you know, doesn't bode well for Forrest given your record down at the city ground. You know, if I was a Brentford fan and I could only go to one away game a season, then, you know, the Forest one would be it. Um that said, you know, we've played better against the better sides and it's been the it's been the teams that have come to Forest to shut up shop and put ten men behind the ball that we've really struggled. We just haven't had those um, creative kind of tactics to kind of you know beat those teams if you like and that's where Karanka came unstuck so I'm hoping that Forrest will give it a go um, it's going to be tough Brentford tells are going to be up but I think if Carvalho and Graben do play for Forrest that will give us a big chance so I'm going to go for an entertaining 3-2 Winter Forest come on you Reds So there you go, Scott Ely has given us his thoughts on Forrest and he's, he's not 100% sure but he thinks that maybe this might be the time for Forrest. Guys, we've got a brilliant record against Forrest, what do you reckon Laney? Uh There you go, it's almost too good a record isn't it, to be going there. Uh, yeah, we've had some really good, well I would say afternoons there, we haven't had an afternoon there for God knows long, we've had some really good nights uh, the city ground um, it's always a great place to go uh, it's steeped in history it's beautiful beautiful stadium right on the banks of the um, on the trend and uh, I just it, it's as growing up Nottingham Forest and European football were just you know like entwined with one another and the fact that Brentford have been there for five or six games now and and, and we've one there and we've played some brilliant football in that time as well so I actually think the run will continue 
Um, I don't think we'll come away there with a defeat. The worst we'll get is to draw, but I, I, I think 2-1 Brentford win. Liberal. Now then, young man, let's get a bit of perspective on this game. Um, I think that... Yeah, I agree. Everything Lady says about... <laughs> not was not now then now then it was now then uh, anyway sorry stop the accents stop the stop the uh, impersonations uh, agree with everything lady says about nottingham fantastic place to to go to really great day or evening uh, some great pubs in nottingham great beers i've had lots of fun times there however i think you know i think there are distractions on the horizons for us at the moment um Forest can't, you know, Forest aren't on a good run of form. We're still battling to really do well away. I think it's going to be a one-all draw. Mm, I'd like to think that, you know, we're going to get back on track. And I'd like to say 2-1 to the Bees. But obviously we do have distractions. We've got this FA Cup thing. Um, but then saying that, you know, I don't sort of go back on history to say just because we've won there for the last four or five games, we'll do it again. But on the flip side of it is that we are playing really well. If you look at the sort of, uh, if you look at the, the, you know, into the stato side of the world, you know, Brentford, you know, some people don't believe it, but sometimes you have to look at it. And Brentford are pitted definitely way in the top 10, you know, in, 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 in one of the leagues. Uh, I think we're seventh in, in, in a very, 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 very stato league. I think we're looking about fifth. And I, I think Forrest are looking at, at, the, at, the, at the way they're playing at the moment now about bottom five as well. So in principle, I think that Brentford will be going there fairly confident that they'll be able to get some sort of a result if we don't get a draw and maybe even nick a win. But I'd like to say we're going to go and get a 2-1 win there at Forest. And like I said, I've not even booked my train tickets yet. So I'm thinking of um, probably booking that later or working out I'm going to get up there so I can have a nice day because it's been a little bit of a procrastination for myself. But can't miss a day out in Forest. It's a very good away day. And what's very good is that we've sold out our... 1,200 tickets or however many we've got. So we sold out our allocation there and I think there are a few more tickets going to be available on the gate as well, pay as you go. So there's going to be good support from the bees there on Saturday. So, um... Yeah, what... Bill, before you um, go any further, you know you were asking about um, favourite colours. Yes. Earlier. Can I ask you um, what your favourite number is? Yeah, it's um, 74%, I think. Oh, nice. Okay, just wondered. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, 69. Oh, right, interesting. Reminds me of uh, uh, YouTube. Anyway, should we move on from <laughs> this one? Tuesday night, before we go on, we've got a couple of games next week. We've got the obviously got the Villa game on Wednesday, which we'll be talking about on our radio show on Monday on Lust Sport Radio. So check that out. And also on Tuesday, we've got a game versus Dulwich Hamlet in the London Senior Cup semi final. It's over in Dulwich Hamlet, South West London. Easy to get to if you're from the Brentford way. You just go to Clapham Junction and get a train to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then get a train to well, I didn't say West Country, you know what I'm saying? And then <laughs> and then get a train down to uh, get a train down to somewhere I can't remember it is, yeah, but <laughs> but anyway, you should get down there. It's very very uh, the details will be up on I'm sure on the Brentford website, it'll be up on the Besotted website as well. Um just to get down to the Hamlet to go and see Brentford. Six pounds to get in. It's got a very, very good bar, and if you don't want to even stand outside, you can actually watch the game inside the bar. But um on Monday's Love Sport radio show we'll have uh, we'll have one of the B team players. We're gonna have an interview him, chat to him about the game that they're looking forward to on Tuesday. We may even chat to a, a Dulwich fan as well to see if how much they're looking forward to the game, which should be all good. And that is a game before the Villa game on Wednesday. So um, looking forward to that one, Liberal. Are we coming up for that? 
Uh, I'll, I'll, uh, unfortunately, Bill, I'm actually in Birmingham on Tuesday night. Um, um, I will. Just, uh, I'm spying on the Villa team. For... Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll let you off that one. But listen, should, should be a good night. Look, Saturday, Nottingham Forest. We're looking forward to going up to Nottingham Forest. Fingers crossed we can actually keep our win going, keep the momentum going, so that we'll be going into the, the Villa game, which is a very important game next week as well. We're only six points behind Villa with the game in hand as well, so it'll be nice to catch up on them. So going into that game and then into the Cup game the following week, um, where we've got the three coaches going to Swansea. Nothing else I can say here. Um, I've been the chums. We're in the virtual joint. And uh, as we like to say, as we finish off all our podcasts and we say with with so much fervour, come on, come on, you bees. Come on, you bees. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.